right, welcome back on this Monday morning edition of the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. I am one half of your hosting duo, Noah B. The man to my right, that's Dominic Salee. It's time for another edition of the Weekend Recap. Dominic, we're on the come down. We are having major fight hangover vibes on this end here in Indiana. How are things over in Ohio? It's the same way over here, my friend. It was a long night of fights, 12 fights. Nine of them went the distance. Uh, But there was plenty of takeaways that we're going to discuss, big performances, uh, and I'm excited to break it down. We're getting into another fun week. We've got UFC, Bellator's back with a huge card that no one knows about because they're not promoting it, but we know that there's some pretty damn big fights. We're going to promote it. Yeah, later this week. uh, But first and foremost, it's UFC 273. I'm excited to recap it. How are you doing, my friend? feel great. UFC 273 was a massive card in more ways than one. And, you know, there's a lot of takeaways here. So a lot of interesting discussions we're going to have here. It's all going to be UFC 273, though, for today. Obviously, uh, come Thursday, we'll be on to uh, Muhammad versus Luke A2 for the UFC and uh, Bellator 277. I think which so, is, yeah. Headlined by the rematch between Pitbull and McKee, as yeah. well as uh, Vadim Nemkov and Corey Anderson in the finals of the light heavyweight Grand Prix. So, yeah, a lot of good MMA to come. But, Dominic, before we just jump right in, I want to give you a chance to tell everyone where they can find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Diesely14. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact with us, with the show on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at NTBaker underscore. If you go to my bio on either of those, there's a link. It'll take you to a link tree, which gives you a bevy of options to take it to. Yeah, social media, Twitter, Instagram for Below Average Joes is on there. YouTube channel and much more, including today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout, Shout out. out to them. Well, let's get right into it, Dominic. Without further ado, the main event, which weirdly enough felt like the third biggest fight on yeah. the card. Alexander yeah. Volkanovsky does defend once again TKO's standing the Korean zombie who has that name for a reason in round number four, 45 seconds in. So Dominic, um, I'll give you a chance to talk about how great of a performance this was for Volkanovsky, but obviously the more important stuff is kind of like, where do you go from here? What are the big takeaways from the fight? So let's start with how much did this fight boost Volkanovski's legacy in terms of where he stands among the greats of today and perhaps the all-time greats? Oh, this was big. This was big because he'd been, you know, having great performances, obviously the champion. This was his third title defense, but he's been going the distance a lot, not a ton of big finishes, big flashy finishes. So he's just flown under the radar so much. Uh, a lot of people still have the Max Holloway stuff left in their mouth as well, those two fights, especially the second one that a lot felt Holloway won. But he, he slowly crept out of that shadow and kind of created his own aura around him, and people are starting to recognize the greatness. And now him going out here and finishing Korean Zombie, something a lot of people haven't been able to do, that was big. It was a big-time performance. It was a clinical 
performance from Volkanovski from start to finish. He looked so fast, so crisp. His fight IQ was on full display, as it always is. Uh, and it was honestly near perfect from uh, everything that he did. Uh, and the, the finish was the icing on top of the cake. Again, three title defenses, 21 wins in a row. No, he's 11-0 and inside the UFC. It's the biggest win streak right now in the company behind Mr. Kamaru Usman, and that's why I'm going to transition into a question for you because Kamaru Usman is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. But how close after last night is Alexander Volkanovsky to that spot? I would say it's close enough to where it's not just a given that Kamaru yeah. Usman's number one. Yeah. And this is weird to say because Usman's not done anything to like move backwards. It's just Volkanovsky no. is taking leaps forward yes. each time out. I mean, you just look at the last two performances. This one against the Korean Zombie and the Brian Ortega fight. That man looks unstoppable in Volkanovski. Yeah. So I, I, I would, I would firmly put him at number two right now. I won't quite take that leap and put him at number one, but no doubt, Dominic. I mean, I, I, to me, the more interesting part here is what does this win do for him in terms of being like an all-time featherweight. Yeah. Um, Dare I say he? Oh, oh, I don't know if I can go there, man. It's He's so right tough. there, dude. You basically Jose Aldo is is probably number one, even but because just the the longevity um, of the reign, yeah, yeah. But uh, Max Holloway and Volk have been kind of right there, number two and number three. And I think with this win, you might have to put Volkanovski above Max Holloway, yeah. If not for the fact that he has two wins over Max. Um, the question is, how close is he to Jose Aldo? So hard for me because I came into the sport at a time where Aldo was not at his best. He was coming off his loss to Conor McGregor, and then he would follow that up. He, he would win at UFC 200, which was one of the first events I watched live uh, with, a, with the win over uh, Frankie Edgar. Yeah. But then uh, he followed it up with the back-to-back stoppage losses to Max Holloway. So the, the, the Jose Aldo I've seen has been great, especially now at Bantamweight, had a resurgence, but overall has been, he's had, he's not been uh, this destroyer, this, this guy that's just yeah. a level above the rest. Um, but there was a time where he was, I mean, you look at that win streak, you know, when he came to the UFC with wins over guys like Mark Hominick, Ricardo Lamas, the Korean zombie, yep. uh, twice against Chad Mendez, um, I think he had seven total title defenses. Yeah, and I mean, even if you go before that WEC, which I know is Mm -hmm. not technically UFC, but it's owned by the UFC, um, and the UFC didn't even have those divisions at the time, so it's like, it still matters. Um, He was doing crazy shit down there, too. Yeah, Um, I'm currently in the middle of watching through all that. So, um, what (laughs) point being... I think Volkanovski might be the best featherweight of all time. Is it yeah. necessarily this fight that secured it? It's This fight was dominant, but it, it was sort of expected to be. We thought this fight was a little closer than the odds told you, but it's so crazy how everybody felt that way. Everybody said, whoa, look at the disrespect to the zombie. Yeah. It, you probably could have made it minus 1,000. I mean, it, yeah, this it was, looked like that. This was one-way traffic. The Korean zombie, to his credit, Durable as all hell, but man, he was just eating too many clean shots. The speed was too much in the favor of Volkanovski. Um, But Dominic, I'm going to give you a question now. So we're just going to keep passing the ball back here. That's fine. A little lateral here. So 
as far as what's next, you know, for Alexander Volkanovsky, we have an obvious option, right? It's that <laughs> yeah. fight with yeah. Max Holloway. Is that the fight that you believe, based off everything we've heard, you know, the Josh Emmett, Max Holloway rumors, is that the fight that you believe we see next? Or is there perhaps a, a uh, dark horse uh, contender out there that might jump the line? I think that's got to be next. There are guys that are there, but they haven't quite put together the string of wins, you know, to get there. There's, you know, like a guy like Calvin Cater, one more win, he's there. Yair, one more win, he could probably get there because he's never fought for the belt. Uh, but right now, Max has won two in a row, both phenomenal both those guys you mentioned, Max put a clinic yeah, on, too. Exactly. So I still think there's – even though the record is 2-0 in Volk's favor, there's unfinished business between him and Max Holloway. Um, so, yeah, I think that's got to be next. I think that fight's massive. I think it's huge. Maybe, honestly, that could come kind of sooner rather than later, considering Volk didn't take much damage. Max seems to be back and ready. Now he just has to do a training camp. I mean, we could potentially see that maybe in July or so on one of those two pay-per-view cards, and I wouldn't be surprised uh, just because of the freshness of both. So I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I think that should be next, and I don't see anything else that could potentially interrupt that unless there's some sort of injury that occurs again. Yeah, because right now it seems to be kind of like the unspoken truth is that July, the International Fight Week, the first pay-per-view in July, will be headlined by Usman Edwards. Yeah. And then the one at the end of July will be Adesanya Cannoneer. Mm-hmm. I think it would be awesome to put Volkanovski Holloway 3 on that International With, Fight Week card. Yeah. So you put Usman and Volkanovski on the same card. To oh, the two pound for, pound for pounds. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I mean, technically, Adesanya is number two pound for pound. So who knows if they'll. Well, and him and Volk train together, you could do storylines on well, both cards. Actually, part. that's true. Actually, that'd probably make more sense for them to put those two together just because yeah. they. They tend to be like a team. Is Volkanovski yeah. is he in city kickboxing or is he just? I think uh, they've just had trainings there before, yeah, but he represents I, more Australia than New Zealand. Yeah, 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 that's what I thought. Okay, but um, I guess before we move on here, because I, I I sort of agree with you. I mean, I it's hard for me to not think that that fight's going to happen next, even though I've been wrong like each step of the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep thinking Max is next and. Something just happens each time, yeah. it seems like. So now it feels like, you know, you just got to try to do it again until it happens or until Max says, like, well, I'm going to go to 155 or go chasing a counter fight or whatever. It feels like that's the fight we're always going to say is next. And, yeah. you know, I, apparently the, the Max Holloway, Josh Emmett rumors are not near as strong as they were, you know, when – UFC lost its main event for Columbus. Um, So that's kind of good. I mean, I think uh, Josh Emmett is a guy that if Max Holloway were to um, not be available for a title fight, I think Josh Emmett would be a sleeper candidate to perhaps sneak in there. Not the guy that I would probably pick just because I think he needs like one more win. But you look at the matchups already being put in place. It looks like Yair and uh, Ortega will be fighting. Calvin Cater might be even, I mean, he put on a clinic against Chikadze, but, uh, yeah. you know, Josh Emmett's just been kind of a sneaky guy. That's just, he's, he hangs I mean, in, man. Yeah, he's, he's really good. A fucking cracker when he, yeah. um, when he wants to be, but, uh, before we move on, the Korean zombie deserves a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, time here. 
Is there any fight in mind that you would want to see hmm. next from a Korean zombie? Mm, I mean, because I'm know. of the I'm of the opinion that I'm kind of like just like not even matchmaking for him. Like he he seemed. I mean, obviously he was heartbroken, but he and he even hinted retirement. Unsure, very unsure, but he said he kind of does that after every fight. True, but yeah. I. It, after the damage he took here, you know, the damage he's accumulated over his career and the fact that he said, like, I now know that I can never be UFC champion, which just hit me right in the feels. That's emotional. Yeah. Um, it feels like this could be a proper end. I mean, d- tough way to go out. I mean, you're getting beaten up. Yeah. You go out fighting for a title, literally showed his nickname in true form by not being finished on the ground. Like he got right. standing on his feet. So, um, the people's champion is the Korean zombie, yeah. as JP, our, our buddy, put it. Very true, very true. Now, the co-main event. We saw the fight run back. UFC 259, I don't have to remind you guys what happened there. But um, in a shocker, Aljamain Sterling becomes vindicated by getting the split decision win over Pewter Jan in a, in a, a judge's a decision that will be talked about for years, probably. Mm. So, right off the rip, Dominic, how did you score this fight? Uh, I scored the fight three to two, Pewter Jan, with in mind wondering what our judges going to do because of round two. But yes, me three to two, Pewter Jan, no ten eights, no nothing, ten nine straight across the board. So, and I scored it the exact same. We didn't yep. watch it together. We'll admit. We may have had a betting bias. Well, at least I'll, I'll admit I did. I don't know if you want to admit that, but um, I was hopeful. <laughs> I, I I obviously had a you know I had a dog in the fight. You know that Pierre Gon was on my both of ours parlays for the nosebleeds. So I mean, definitely was like wanting Jan to win, but at the same time, I just to me I thought it was a pretty easy fight to score. Yeah, um, I understand the ten eight argument for round two. Mm-hmm. I personally didn't think enough damage was yeah um, exerted. I didn't think there was enough locked in submission attempts. I mean, I guess it's all about how you uh, interpret the rules, but the it was a dominant round for sure. He had back control. He for literally over half the round. Yeah, but there wasn't enough damage there wasn't right. enough and he wasn't ever able to lock in a submission attempt and it just yeah. i don't know i didn't think it was enough to warrant a 10-8 but uh i thought i was kind of surprised that people were telling me sterling might have won round one it was yeah. all fought on the feet not a ton happened it was low volume so i don't know what the numbers would tell you but um just watching it live it just felt very much like Jan yeah. was pushing the pace uh, was landing the harder shots and landing more accurately. I don't know if that's what the numbers are going to say, but that's how it felt watching it. And rounds two and three were the most decisive rounds yes. of the fight. And those were both Alja's rounds. And obviously Jan came up late in round four and five. I guess the the big question here, now that we've admitted, you know, we, we scored this fight for Jan. The headline says vindicated, meaning like, you know, after this year, over a year, where Aljo has had to be 
thrown all these insults his way about being a paper champion, how he didn't deserve the belt, he didn't earn the belt. People calling him an actor, acting like he played up his uh, how hurt he was with the illegal knee. Yeah, you know this all stems from something that wasn't his fault. You know, Peter Brown being the one that threw the knee, and yet he's had to face more consequences for it in terms of public yep. opinion than anybody. I agree. So, with that being said, how vindicated really is he in in, in this victory, Don? Because it is a win. I think he showed a lot more than even the hardcore, the most hardcore of Sterling fans would have expected. But it still leaves a lot up in the air, doesn't it? Yeah, matter? a lot of questions. Yeah, there's still questions for sure about him, uh, you know, being the champion and uh, it, being that it was controversial. Uh, that doesn't help the case. And not like the biggest fan favorite. There's just a lot going against Aljo is what it seems like. So vindicated, yes, but oh, ever so slightly, um, depending on how you kind of break it down there. Mm-hmm. And it's just... At least as of right now, I'm just excited to kind of move this kind of rivalry chapter to the side. It's not gone. I don't think it's gone. Because Peter Jan, I think, is always going to be right there, a title contention. So I think we could very easily see them fight again for a third time. But right now, let's see if Sterling can kind of just completely clear his name of that situation and move forward. Because it looks like it's pretty clear TJ Dillashaw could be next. He was right there in the front row. He seems to be healing up from his knee surgery. They're banting back and forth. TJ's tweeting him. That's definitely what's going to happen next. And that that's a big step for Aljo, too, to, you know, right the ship even more so in his favor. This is a guy that's looked at as one of the greatest, in some people's eyes, the greatest bantamweight of all time. So if Aljo can go out there and beat TJ, he, he can really start to build it back up in terms of a positive light in the way that he's viewed. But, yes, that vindicated word, it's very... Very murky, I should say, right now. Yeah, I I will say that I'm just so happy this fight was not scored a draw. I know there was an argument yeah. for it, and honestly, I would probably say there was more of an argument for it in my eyes than giving the fight to Aljo. But I'm so glad that there was a clear winner, because if this fight... I told Dominic before scorecards got run off and our buddies in our group chat, I said, I'm just so ready for this rivalry to just be done for now. Yeah. I know it's not done, I know. And if Jan, if both these guys win their next fights, who knows? Maybe that's the matchup that comes next. But this this division is so stacked with talent. So much. I would just hate for these two to just be kind of clogging up this this title picture with undecisive fights. Like fights that don't really tell us who the best in the world is. I think Aljamain Stoyan is pretty vindicated here. and I mean, it's kind of a funny, like, it's just throwing this word in here, but... I think um, regardless of how we scored the fight, how you scored the fight at home, how the judges scored the fight, Aljamain Sterling showed us a lot on this night. He showed how good he really is. He showed, Dominic, why so many people thought he might beat Pure Jan at UFC 259. I mean, this was a much better performance from the first one. I mean, so much so that maybe it was the damaged neck that needed surgery that kind of held him yeah, back. that's true. I mean, you look at the takedowns. Yes, he kind of spammed them quite a bit. Like, especially at the end, it was kind of getting a little telegraphed. But in rounds two and three, and when he was at his best, 
I mean, his takedowns were ferocious and just, yes. he was so adamant about getting a fight there. And I was shocked that, like, the first fight, Jan just kind of played with them when he was trying yeah. to get the fight to the ground. Here, Jan was, you could tell that Jan was terrified of Aljo taking him down again. Because every time Aljo, even so much as fainted like he was getting a level change, Jan was, was big. leaning in. Yes. And they were kind of colliding at times. Like, it was, Jan was looking to sprawl, like, every second of the rest of that fight. So I think Aljamain Sterling has vindicated in the sense that he just proved that he is an elite bantamweight, and I mean we yeah. all knew that, but yeah. he needs he deserves the respect that like, no, this pure Yon guy, as good as he is, I still te- what did I say before? I think he might be the most talented fighter in the whole world. Yeah, and yet Aljamain Sterling just beat him technically. Yes, yes. And if you even if you went by my scorecard, he held up with him over the course of five rounds. Means Aljamain Sterling's one of the best in the world too, right? And so, I think people just forgot. People forgot that yeah. how good Sterling I mean, was. I mean, wait, this is seven wins in a row. Corey Sandhagen fight. I mean, come on, unreal. unreal. That that guy, that guy's a killer. And yeah. I guess that's a credit to Jan that he was able to have Aljo on his back for almost the entirety of two whole rounds. Yeah, and didn't even Aljo didn't lock in a submission one time. Yeah. I mean, you look at how swiftly he did it with Corey, and um, it just – this fight wasn't the most exciting to watch. It was a weird one. You know, it's kind of a weird fight. Like, momentum shifts, but it felt like whoever was leading the dance was doing so in a pretty decisive way outside it of – It was high-level stuff. It was high-level. It's just like, you know, it wasn't the most exciting fight to watch. It, it, for nothing else, it was exciting because you just were so – I was so surprised at how well – Aljamain yeah. was doing. But uh, yeah, you're right. TJ Dillashaw is the next fight. I'm so excited to see that fight. The Me fight too. I was most uh, clamoring for for this year to see was Peter Jan versus TJ Dillashaw. And I still think down the road that's going to be yeah. just an amazing fight to watch. But now, I mean, I'm I'm still just so interested in what this matchup could, could show us. I mean... And it's a perfect matchup for Aljamain Sterling, if I'm being honest with you. Not in X's and O's. I mean, I think TJ does offer a lot. He is very much like a complete package at this weight class. But considering he's not been um, loved by the fans ever since that first yeah. fight with Jan, I mean, TJ Dillashaw is one of the most hated fighters in the whole roster. Yeah. Um, as, even though he's awesome, one of the, I mean, a great fighter it's just you know the drug stuff and you know i just don't think he's ever really been all that beloved this Aljamain sterling will be by he's gonna be the good guy the good guy now so i mean <laughs> yeah. if he were to beat tj dillashaw that ought to get him a lot of goodwill yeah with the fans so i think it's a perfect follow-up you know going from this kind of messy rivalry with Jan that you know he Alja was just being ripped apart, it seemed like, in public yeah. opinion. Now you get to be kind of the good guy. So yeah. I, I think that that is a big plus for Aljo. I have a matchup in mind for Peter Jan. I just want to say it. I'm a little annoyed. I was Right before we started recording, I was listening to the, um, the Ringer MMA show, which is like Ariel Hawani, Pizza Carroll, yeah. Chuck Mendenhall. And Ariel mentioned this fight, and I was like, damn it. Like, I wanted to be, like, the one to say the it. The first. And maybe other people have said it online, so I don't want to, you know, 
maybe this is just a common one. Uh, Peter Yan versus Marav Valishvili is the next yeah. fight, in my opinion. I mean, teammate style, of Sterling, by the yeah, way. Stylistically, and also the fact that it kind of continues that rivalry because mm-hmm. Marav is in Aljo's corner here. Yep. And uh, Marav is a ferocious grappler. Yes. And it'd be very interesting to see how Jan is able to weather that. And for Marav, he things got a little dicey when he was on the feet with um, yeah. Marlon Marais. So Jan, I mean, you know what he can do if the fight stays on the feet for a long time. Yeah, that's I think a that's fight. a very clear. That's a very clear fight to make <laughs> to to continue that story. It's all. It's like a Dominic Cruz versus Team Alpha Male again yes, kind of deal. That's you know, what I was going to say. Yeah. So something about bantamweights and these storylines, but yeah, <laughs> I think that's X's and O's wise. That's phenomenal. That's a five round main event and on a fight night, in my opinion, all day. And and for Marab, that's his chance because he's on a huge win streak too, and that's a guy that gets overlooked a lot. I think mm-hmm. if he can go in there and can beat Peter Yan. Then he's right there for a title, but is he going to fight Sterling? And then there's even more questions. I don't know. It's all weird, but that's the fight that needs to happen next. Yeah. Anything else before we move on? On to the no. <laughs> oh, on to the next. The fight of the night, and perhaps the early favorite to end up being the fight of the year, mm. saw Hamza Chimaev mm. go to a unanimous decision victory over Gilbert Burns. I mean, Dominic, we, we don't have to say what, what everybody else is going to say, right? This fight was fantastic. It was mm. back and forth. Hamzat having to go to his first third round in his career. Coming off of a round that he lost pretty decisively. He yeah. got beat up in round two. Yeah. Um, this fight, there was no losers here. Gilbert Burns nope. loses on the scorecards, but both guys are elevated here. Yes. However... Considering Dominic, what we walked into this fight believing about Hamza Jemaya, what we had seen from him leading up, seeing him just swallow people whole essentially, you know, what were the yeah. striking numbers, two hundred fifty-four to two or whatever yeah. it was? I mean, just yeah. outrageous stuff. And it's seeming like a lot of people thought, including kind of us, that Hamza was going to do some similarly. Uh, Similar, similarly decisive things yes. to Gilbert Burns. Is there any hesitancy when you walk away from this fight? As good as it was, as great as both guys looked, do you take? Is there a pause when you walk away from this fight and go, "Hmm, is Hamza really as good as we thought?" Or are you even more? Are you even more on the Hamza train now, walking away? I think the skill set is still championship material. The biggest thing for me was that I felt he chose to stand and bang more than what he should have done. He did not grapple hardly at all. But when he did, he was able to control Gilbert, get him to the ground, get him, drag him down again, hold him up against the fence. So I don't know. I know going into this fight, he said he wanted to be in kind of one of these bloody fight of the nights, and he loved it in the post-fight interview. He's like, I can taste my blood. I got hit really hard. I love this shit. That's what he said. So I, I love that. I love seeing – we had to see him get tested eventually, right? And I, so I'm glad it happened here. As much as I wanted that force of invincibility, that aura around him to continue, I'm glad we got to see him get tested and go into the deep waters. But I can't help but wonder – could he have made it a little bit easier on himself? 
if he kind of went against his ego and kind of went to the well of that dominant grappling that he has. That's the only question I have because I know he has that skill set, but he showed great hands. And I know he got hit a lot, but his defense wasn't terrible. His offense looked good. It was just one of those back-and-forth wars, man, that you see, you know, a couple times a year, and this was one of them. So that was the kind of the only takeaway negatively, quote-unquote, that I had. But, I mean, holy shit, you can't have much negatives from a fight like that. Yeah, to me, Hamza did not – his stock his stock was raised, but in terms of, like, how I view him – it's a lateral move. I mean, I don't yeah. think he's a title yeah. challenger worthy. I think he's perhaps the next champion of the division. That didn't change here. What did change was my opinion <clears throat> of Gilbert Burns and his resolve. Mm-hmm. I knew Gilbert could be just a Swiss Army knife um, offensively. I knew how good he is in terms of some of the fastest hands in the division. A lot of power behind those shots. He has amazing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, black belt. Yeah. Um, yeah. His wrestling is good. You saw that against Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, so he's kind of good everywhere. But defensively, I've always felt like he kind of lagged behind. You know, he he his durability has been questioned. You know, he's a guy that when he used to fight at 155 pounds, uh, got knocked out by Dan Hooker, clean. Yeah. yeah. And then at 170 pounds, it was uh, the jab of Kamara Usman that really put him away. So there was some questions about, you know, his durability, his chin. I don't think you can question that anymore. I mean, the heart he showed here, because round one was mostly Hamzad. I mean, Gilbert still landed some good shots, but Hamzad was really putting it on him in round one. Yeah. He even dropped him at the end of round one, I believe. With a jab. Uh, With a jab, yeah. (laughs) But uh, Gilbert just locked in round two. He just looked... Weirdly enough, it looked like Hamza was starting to overwhelm Gilbert and even like kind of wear on him. Yeah. Round two, though, Gilbert looked like the fresher fighter, really took it to Hamza. Hamza was like, bring it. And Gilbert was <laughs> throwing hands Dude. at him. Yeah. I mean, it was some wild exchanges in this fight. So to me, Gilbert Burns was elevated even more. Like, I've already viewed him as one of the best welterweights in the world, but now I still think he could be a future champion i mean yeah obviously the first attempt didn't go his way but like we when we went into the first deuceman fight with gilbert we thought that fight was like kind of an even fight. yeah like and, and and it seems like since then while kamaru's went on to bigger better things more title defenses and now is in the you know is he one of the best ever talk gilbert hasn't lost since then he fought wonder boy in kind of a if he didn't fight but he won it seems like Gilbert's stock has not really moved that direction. It seems like he's been kind of lagging behind, you know, where now he's, it was like, yeah, he's a borderline elite guy. But here he showed to me that, like, no, he's still very much one of the best oh, yeah. in the world. And if the cards were right, I think another title shot could potentially be on a, a thrust upon him, and I think he could even win and be a champion. Um Let's get into this discussion, though, Dominic, because this is something that we're going to differ on. Um, In the lead-up to this weekend, on the Pat McAfee show, Dana White made an appearance, and um, he kind of uh, revealed, which uncharacteristically, I might add, kind of crazy. a little nugget that uh, if Hamzat were to win, which obviously he now has, that... They would be interested in putting him versus Colby Covington 
in the main event on a future ABC card. So um, you were the one that uh, gave me this news. You sent it in our Twitter group, and you were ecstatic. Yeah. So I want to give you the chance to tell, like, and now you can, maybe we can group it like this. Now that the fight's taken place. Right. Is this the, is this the fight, in your opinion, Colby versus Hamza? I still think so. I actually think so even more now. And it's not because, like, well, Hamzat didn't go in there and just steamroll Gilbert, so let's give him one more. It's not that mindset. It's just we saw a few, not even weaknesses, but just a couple of vulnerabilities. Well, from let me, let me try to help. Let me help you here. Let me help you here because I think I know what you're what you're trying to say. It, it's probably like Hamzat showed a little bit of like greenness. Like he's still yeah. only ten and 0, 11 and zero. Yeah, he's twenty four like, or twenty seven. I mean, sorry. He, he, like it seems like a few of his errors in this fight were more due to inexperience rather right. than like yeah, you know. So continue. Yeah, and uh, here's the thing too, because I saw a lot of people. It's funny how this guy gets all this hype and everybody loves him, but then he has a, a tough fight and a lot of people go back. Oh well, he's ah, nope, nope. I'm I'm off the hype train now. You know, if he goes up against Colby Covington, he'll get smashed. I'm like, really? Do we really think he'll just get smashed by Colby Covington? Because Colby fights nothing like what Gilbert Burns did right. against Hamza Shmaev. That is a completely different fight. So I I don't think they're. I don't know how, based off of this performance from Chmaev, you can go and then say that. But between him and uh, Covington or him versus Usman, I just I don't agree with that argument whatsoever. But I think that is an incredible matchup. I get it, and it's part of your argument, so I'm not going to like take it and steal it. But the idea of Hamzat's right there, why don't we just, come on, you know, this is title. We can really build him really quick. But if you brisk him against Colby, he could lose. I get it. But I just really want to see this fight stylistically. The grappling, the high levels uh, and that we could see in this is something that really intrigues me. And it just gives him that one more opportunity. And to take out a humongous name in Colby Covington would just really build on top of this stardom that we're really starting to see in Shmaev. And stardom is the right word to use because if you look at all the new numbers from this week, he more than doubled the main event, the co-main event, everything, mm-hmm. all eyes, and we said it on Friday, or on Hamzat Chemaev, and they're still on him after this one. I'm not going to be mad if he gets a title fight next, but I absolutely love him versus Colby Covington. So him versus Colby is a massive fight. Let me get that out of the way. It's massive. Um, I would be excited for it, obviously, if it happened. Like, I'm not going to be, like, pooing on it. Right. If it happens. When they sent this, though, and Dominic was all excited and, like, you know, our buddies were all excited, I was like, in my, in my head, I'm thinking, come on, guys, wake up. I'm like, this, yeah. this, this isn't what you think it is. Like, it's not. And let me explain. Um, when has Dana White or the UFC in general ever had something like this, like the, where Hamzat's at right now, and not fast-tracked him? I mean, what right. if they never? I mean, Conor McGregor got a title fight off of beating Dennis Seaver back in 2014. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, Ronda Rousey was given the belt before she even fought in the UFC. Yeah. Hamza Chimaev is clearly the next, like, superstar. Yes. Yes. And he just beat your number two contender. 
and the, the 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 solution or the next step is to have him fight Colby. The reason I hate it is because it's not the fight itself; it's just what it means in my head. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong, and maybe I'll be proven wrong. We have Kamar Usman uh, presumably defending against Leon Edwards come July. Right. The winner of that fight, I assumed Hamzat would fit right in to just fight the winner of that fight come before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And that would be huge because Hamzat, look, I understand it wasn't as one-sided as maybe we thought it was, but Hamzat, to me, he won. He should be next for a title. But instead, Dana's really on board with this Colby Covington fight. And I was thinking, well, why is he like so adamant about this Colby Covington fight? You know, when you have a guy who's perhaps your next megastar in Hamza, like, wouldn't you want him to mm-hmm. fight for a title? I get it. It's Kamar Usman who's one of the best to ever do it. But I don't think Hamza like matches up poorly with Hamza. I mean, he might not win. But, I mean, I don't see how him losing... I mean, he's made it. He's an elite welterweight now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now there's no easy fights. Like, now you are going to be perhaps winning 50-50 shot, you win or lose. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but think back to Conor McGregor's comments about uh, fighting Kamaru Usman. And as much as I want to believe that Dana White and Conor... The boys... Know, Oh yeah, the, the boys. Yes, Dana and yeah. the boys yeah. would be smart enough to know that that's just not a good fight for Connor. I am kind of concerned that this Colby Covington Hamzat fight is in order to open up the, for perhaps that Colby Hamzat fight happens in the fall sometime, and it, once it gets booked, I mean, then Dana can have the excuse. Well, I mean. All the contenders are booked. All the top guys are booked. So, you know, if if uh, Kamaru beats Leon, I'm just saying, it, it, maybe it's a long shot. Maybe I got the tinfoil hat on. But I really believe that, like, Connor's serious about this Kamaru-Usman fight. I yeah. believe he's dead serious on it. And if he's dead serious on it, why would Dana and the boys reject him of a title fight in a weight class where he's ultimately been most successful at yeah it just that's why i hate when dana was saying that on the pat mcafee show because it felt like to me it gave some levity to this connor kamaru fight which maybe nobody i doubt any other person is thinking like that right now i think everybody's just like it's a massive fight i'm excited for it but i can't help but I just don't want to see that because I know, I you know, know, it's just not the right fight. Yeah. You have your top two guys squaring off in five rounds on ABC, but then Madison Square Garden is going to be headlined by Conor McGregor and Kamara Usman. Like it just doesn't feel right to me. Right? No, I agree, so, man. I... So I just, you know, it's okay. Like, hey, everybody should be excited because it's a massive fight. It'll be, it, considering how the fight went Saturday. I mean. Colby's not. Colby's got a, a a chance there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, and you're right. I have been annoyed seeing people like kind of saying, "Oh, Colby wins ten out of ten times." Yeah, but that's I, a terrible take in my opinion. Now I'm just more like invested in just like can Hamzat beat someone who's that relentless in their pressure and their takedowns, and um, I think that's a very intriguing matchup. But yeah, it's more so what it just to me it's taking away 
Hamzat from the title picture to open up perhaps someone less deserving in that weight class to get a title shot. Do you, I know you probably don't agree with me, but I guess like now that I've explained it, like, do you think that that's, is that something that is even remotely possible in your head or are you just kind of like not even really taking the Connor at welterweight thing seriously? No, I mean, it's, it's uh the window there's a small little crack you know in the window it's open a little bit uh, i think connor when he comes back will be at 170 i think he's actually done at 155 i don't know if we ever see him back at lightweight again no. so uh i would hate it so much with you no i hope that that does not happen uh and i know connor's huge and i get that and I, we i'm i'm a sucker for a connor Murray fight week when he brings all these eyes to the sport um, and the fights are always huge, but him getting a title fight at either weight class makes zero sense. Uh, it doesn't matter what type of arguments there are for it. So I do see your fear of like, okay, this is just going to open the door for him more. Uh, but I'd like to think Dana and the fellas wouldn't do that. I also think um, that with Hamzat's new best friend, Darren Till, mm-hmm. and I know that Dana had a meeting with both of them. I almost wonder if there's some sort of like feeling from Dana, because I think that they, I think that there's a, a bit of a regret with the UFC and how quickly they push Darren Till and how it failed mm. so bad. Mm. I, I do think that there's something there. So I almost wonder if something happened at that meeting where they're like, you know, listen, Hamzat's there. We realize this. And I also think that the UFC thought Hamzat was going to smash Burns. Cause when do you see Dana come out and say, well, yeah, we're going to do Chemayev Covington before he even fought Gilbert. Like, that just shows the belief, first and foremost, in Chemayev. A little disrespect to Gilbert, uh, but I'm just rambling now. But, like, I think there's a little bit of, let's let's push him, but let's, like, give him as many top guys as we can. So if we go Gilbert, Covington, boom, back-to-back, he beats both of them, then we have no other choice but to do a title. So I kind of have that little mindset there for me. I will say that since... I'm less, I, I've been lessened in my opinion on that since the interview came out. So like since the fight took place, I was like, okay, now I see a little more of the argument to do Colby Covington next. Mm-hmm. And then following the post-fight press conference, which we're going to transition to now, I think. Um, oh, I can switch over. Unless you want to, do you want to have, talk about Gilbert Burns before we move on anymore? Is we can give Burns there? some shine if you'd like. Okay, well, it's gonna ruin my segue, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, what I mean, we, I mean, what, I don't really have anything else to say about Gilbert yeah. Burns. I, I think that I really gave him his shine as far as like he was elevated. Uh, you, you could not look better in a loss than you did here. But I guess is there a fight of mine that you have? Is there anything else you kind of want to, you know, say? Uh, I mean, yeah, it really was just him being elevated, the shine that he had. He showcased he's still an elite top force. I'd say the winner of Luque Muhammad that's coming this coming week, but he trains with Vicente Luque, so they probably wouldn't fight each other. I don't know. If Muhammad beats Luque, though, I think he'll fight Gilbert Burns. That's what I'll say. Okay. Well, now I'm you glad, can transition. Yeah, I'm glad you ruined my segue for that. I'm sorry. Talk about Bilal Muhammad. Oh, Anyways. boy. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I've been lessened on my opinion simply because of something that was given at the post-fight press conference. And that's that uh, 
It doesn't look like uh, Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz is going to happen, according to Dana White. He was pushed uh, or pressed about this at the press conference. Um, one of the guys there kind of asked him what the update was, because last we talked about it on here was last we've heard, and that's that Nate Diaz requested his release, which we didn't, <laughs> yeah. really, we didn't really take seriously on face value, and I don't think most did, but it at least maybe showed a little bit of frustration, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but Davis said they were moving in a different direction for, he was talking specifically for Dustin, but that they met with Nate last week. So my question for you, Dominic, on a scale of one to 10, how much pain does that uh, announcement do for you? Cause I feel like you were even more excited for this potential matchup than I was. Yeah. I, I just think it's a complete miss. I don't understand the reasoning and why it was so hard to come to terms Nate's still a mega star, and I understand that there's another big fight. But I just think when you have two guys chomping at the bit to fight each other, they've been booked before. Dustin's elevated his name so much since the first time that they were supposed to fight. I think it was massive. It's so fan-friendly. It's a five-round main event that you could do on a pay-per-view, in my opinion, but definitely a five-round co-main event. And they just didn't do it. So I don't know what's going to happen for Dustin. I don't know what's going to happen for Nate. But uh, I know you and I discussed something for Nate off recording. So, scale of 1 to 10 being... Oh, I guess I didn't answer that. I do that sometimes, don't I? Scale 1 to 10, how much pain? 10 being like, I just snapped my leg in half? 10 being like you hit the back of your ankle with the, the oh, With the scooter? Oh, yeah. I got to be a 9 because there's nothing quite like that pain right there. I got to be at a 9. Stubbing think, your toe or something? Stubbing, like... Yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm at a stub the toe. Not a scooter to the ankle, but a stub to the toe. Yeah. Oof. God. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I like thinking about this. this stuff hurts, man. Um, yeah, yeah. This this sucks. I mean, this really sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. And if anything, like, this is kind of bullshit. Like, kind of. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're it. spoiled. I get it. We get all these big fights. You know, boxing deals with this all the time. They they, they go eight plus. You know, to, I remember Floyd Mayweather. Um, Manny Pacquiao was talked about for a damn decade before it happened. But if you're going to pride yourself, if you're Dana and the boys, I'm going to keep coining that term there. Yes. If you're Dana and the boys and you keep priding yourself on giving the fans the fights they want to see, then damn it, you better keep doing it. And here, this just feels like politics is getting in the way. Yeah. What else is getting in the way here? I mean, obviously, it's probably something to do with pay. Um, I don't see what else. Nate's contract has got to be the thing that's going yes. to thing up. Yes. Nate probably is done, basically. Probably just wants to get his last fight over with and then move on. UFC don't want to give him a favorable fight to send him out on. That's why they were teasing the Hamza Chimaya fight, even though... You know, I wasn't as negative on that potential fight as some people were. Um, you know, they if Nate's not going to resign, they're going to look to get put him up with someone who will make that person look very good. You know, yeah. And that's I mean that's an unfortunate part of the business, but it's kind of like when you, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, but as a fan, we don't. Yes, like me and you were both in business, right? We both study business. We're businessmen. We, we're mm-hmm. a business man, you know what I mean? Right, right. But, uh, 
you know, so we kind of get it a little bit when these things happen, probably more than the average fan does. But it still don't like it. Like I don't like when yeah. these kind of things get in the way of a good thing. These two wanted to fight, and the UFC just didn't make it happen. And that's the way I'm looking at it right now. So it's disappointing. However, maybe even the big if the, if the Nate is like adamant about his last fight, you know, maybe, and I'm not saying that that's the case, but Nate has kind of said that on Twitter that like he just wants to get his last fight over with. They're probably wanting to do him and Connor the trilogy. It's ultimately a bigger fight than him and Nate. My question for you, Dominic, is: Is that a fight that you? Which fight do you prefer to see? If you can only get one, do you prefer Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier or the trilogy between Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor? Damn, that's actually a really good question. We've never actually asked that question. I'm shocked we haven't actually discussed that before. Which one would I rather see? I guess I probably would still pick him and Conor. I suppose, even though we've talked time and time again off recording about how this is such a blunder that we've had to wait what will be say it happens this year when they fought in 2016 be six years that's fucking nuts six years well, since the first they fought two fights, yeah the first two, two fights happened in 2016 <laughs> yeah that's crazy to think about if they run that trilogy this year it'd be that long but uh, it's one apiece it's been one that the fan it's almost becoming a an afterthought to where i don't even know if people I, I think people still want it, but they forget that they want it because yeah. it's been so long. But as soon as a discussion will come up on like Twitter again, then we're like, oh, yeah, we do need to see that fight a third time. So I'll probably still go with Connor and Nate just because of how massive the first two were. This one won't be as massive as it, what it could have been at one point in time. I'll give it that. But it's still probably the biggest fight the UFC can do right now with all names considered, I'd say. Yeah. yeah, I will agree with you, and I'm not going to say any different, or else that guy that comments very, very Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Nate's the A-side, I swear, bro. I swear. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't want that guy coming after me again. It might have actually been Nate, because I think the name was Nate Diaz. I don't know. Could be a burner. <laughs> you know, it's true. Yeah, I think it was Nate Diaz himself coming after us. Right, and, uh, right. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to say, yeah, that okay. In all seriousness, like that is probably the fight I would pick. There is a lot of interest with Nate and Dustin. Just it just feels, it it feels like a, just a fresh fight, you know. There's yeah, something to that. yeah. But um, it'd just be really a shame if we never got a trilogy between Nate and Connor. I mean, that's the defining trilogy of their careers. Yeah, I mean it's weird because Nate. I mean Connor has a trilogy, and it's with Dustin Poirier. But this is the trilogy that really would define his career, and um, ultimately, like it's one of the biggest trilogies the UFC's ever done, if not the biggest. So I mean, it's yeah. a lot of history there. Like, let's do it. Let's get this thing done. Yeah, I'm sick of waiting around and all the uh, crap that's going on. I mean, Nate's not. It's going to be over a year since the last time Nate fought. He last fought Leon Edwards. Like. What are yeah. we doing? What are, we, what are we doing here? Anyways. Crazy. UFC 275 in Singapore just got a big boost, Dominic. This is the one that's got the two title fights, Glover versus Yiri, Valentina versus Tyler Santos, and then obviously the big uh, feature bout between Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori. Oh, shit, However, that's on that card, too. <laughs> I forgot about that. However, this main card just got another boost, Dominic, as if it needed it. Because they're going to run it back. The 2020 fight of the year for the Joeys. 
and me and yours personal favorite women's fight of all time. Yeah. Zhang Weili and Joanna Young Jacek will run it back June 11th on that card. So the question, Dominic, is exciting. Obviously, it's a big fight. You know, we everybody knows that. We know we're excited for it. There is a bit of like, okay, we got to try not to get our hopes up that it's going to live up to the first one because uh, how could it? Yeah. But um, if this fight is three rounds and not five, or is that a is that a big missed opportunity or is it perhaps like the right call? This fight must be five rounds. It has to be five. You can't go and watch that first fight in 2020 and come back and say, all right, you two go do a little 15 minute, you know, second fight on the main card. Hell no. This needs to be 25 minutes because it's two of the most elite uh, women's fighters that there are. I know Joanna hasn't fought since then. So we're talking a long layoff for Joanna, which is very crazy. But uh, I can't help but just imagine her coming in and still looking as sharp as ever. Zhang Wei Li's uh, really starting to put together her game and become more well-rounded. You can't go into this fight with the same with expectations, like Noah said, that it's going to live up to 2020 because that it doesn't work that way when we see rematches from previous great fights. But I said it off, and I'm going to say it on recording. There's no way that this fight doesn't at least or how did I word it? It won't will not be boring. This fight can't be boring with the two high level mixed martial yeah. artists that we see here. That I will say, but just Someone again, clip that. Someone clip, clip it. that. Because... I might do it and just save it in my camera roll. Because uh, well, this this is exactly what you told your dad's friends about Derek Lewis and Ngannou when they fought the first time, wasn't it? <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> no, but uh, I I tend to feel that way. Like it feels like a fight that even if it's not the first one, right? These are two of the highest level of mixed martial mm. artists that women's MMA has to offer, and they're never in boring fights. I no, mean, they've been no. in some dominant wins and maybe that's a little boring i guess like if you look at joanna especially she's dominated so many women over the years but these two there was a reason that that fight worked the first time Mm. um who's to say that joanna with that layoff may not come back even stronger just not having the damage she's been training pretty hard from what i understand she still trains quite often while wei lee has added new wrinkles to her game. The grappling seems to be coming along pretty nicely. So it, it's got a lot. It it feels different enough, it, or it's familiar because obviously it's they're they're both still at the top of their game. Like they're not too far removed from where they were the first time they met. Yeah, there's no title on the line, but Zhang Wei Li's number one contender. Joanna, I know isn't ranked, but you know she's right there. She's right there. But it feels different enough in that there's these other variables this time around. So it's mm-hmm. like the perfect rematch to book right there. That's yeah. why I don't. That's why I love when you don't do immediate rematches. Like, give some time. Give some time stuff to breathe. To simmer. Yeah. 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 Let let some things shake up, and then all of a sudden, this fight is just as intriguing as the first one. But there, there's some different things added here. You know. And it's at a time where it makes sense to do it again, too. You yes. Know? Yeah. One hundred percent. Uh, following that, something announced during the broadcast of UFC 273 for the 2022 UFC Hall of Fame. We got our inductee for the fight wing, and that will be UFC 206, which saw Cub Swanson versus mm. the Korean Superboy Duho Choi. I'm just going to say I love that this fight's getting added, not only because 
it's one of the best fights of all time. <laughs> but also, I, when you have this fight wing, which is already kind of weird, I've always been kind of one foot in, one foot out with the whole fight wing thing. Like, I, I get the idea, but it's just weird that, like, okay, so does that make Cub Swanson and Duho Choi Hall of Famers? Hall of Famers. Or, yeah, like, I just, it's always been kind of weird to me. However, what I've always thought it could be good for is giving guys who would not make the Hall of Fame based on their own accolades. personal journeys, yes, accolades, their records, but they had that night where they yep. stole the show, took over, were on top of the world for the, the company. These are two guys that fit that. Cub Swanson's a legend, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And as a guy that's been there, done that with so many of the best, but I would not say that he is a UFC Hall of Famer uh, based on his own personal accolades and uh-huh. resume. And for Duho Choi, I mean, man, he, he's been kind of, after this fight, he's just kind of faded into obscurity a little bit. Like, I think he's fought once or twice since this fight. And uh, Did he do the mandatory military service like Zombie? Uh, he might have. That might have been a part. I don't of know it, if he but, did it yet or not, but but yeah, I, I'm sure that I forget now. But it feels like he's just been so. Even if that military service was a part of it, if he still hasn't like been right, like, right. Upon coming back, has not been active and um, hasn't. I don't even know if he's won since uh, his fight before this. Like I don't know if he's even been. Mm-hmm. It's just a shame, really. That, it, but. If for nothing else, this can be his legacy, right? Like True. This fight where he took an unbelievable amount of punishment, but also was just like, showed so much calmness and resolve in the madness that was this fight while eating haymakers. Hmm. He was still held a high fight IQ and was still really fighting a good fight. It's a great addition to the fight wing. That's what yeah. Yeah, it's one that's a bit under the radar when you think about some of the all-time great fights. So it's one that deserves that shine so that people kind of, you know, get reminded of how good of a fight it was. So definitely a cool moment uh, that they announced that last night. Great fight. Yeah, so Duho Choi, just went and looked him up. He's currently on a three-fight losing streak, the first of which being that Cub Swanson fight. He, uh, in 2018, would headline against Jeremy Stevens where he got TKO'd. And then... He came back in December 2019 on the Frankie Edgar Korean Zombie card. He got TKO'd by Charles Jordan. Oh, okay. Man. So it's been a while then since he's fought again. So I don't think he's done that that military service. Um, At least Hmm. I I could be wrong on that, but I don't believe he has. He was scheduled. I forgot about this. He was scheduled to fight last July. But I uh, had to pull out due to injury. So okay. there's a chance we probably see him back at some point this year. I hope so. Like, I always love the Korean. He's a fun like, fighter to watch, man. 31 years old now. Uh, still in kind of that prime years of, you know, age-wise. So there's always hope that he could come back and have a run. But for nothing else, if he weren't to ever fight again, that's a legacy to leave behind, you know. Yeah, I agree. Now let's get into the rest of UFC 273. We'll start with Mackenzie Dern mm. in a split decision over Tisha Torres. Uh, your opinions on the scorecards for this one? I scored it two to one for Dern. Um, now I can't even remember the specific. Did I score it two to one? I might have scored. 
I don't remember. I can't remember the specific so, round. So, um, so round two was obviously very decisive for Dern. That was when she had That was that. where the Kimura, right? Kimura. Dude. I mean. That was nuts. That was a crazy round. I mean, I couldn't imagine because you had money on Mackenzie Dern. Yeah. Uh, to win yeah. by submission or decision. So I'm sure you were just, I mean. Dude, I've never seen someone try and lock up a Kimura like that. Like, yeah. uh, up elevated against the cage. It was crazy. It was crazy. Stuff. Yeah, I can't imagine the whirlwind of emotions you were going through during this fight. Because I believe it feels like so much. <laughs> this feels like these fights happened a week ago. So sorry. I know. We're, we're, Let we're me see cloud, what I scored it. We're a little clouded in our in our uh, viewing here. But uh, I thought round one, I thought I, I think I scored it 2-1 Torres. I scored like, it rounds one and two, McKenzie, round three to Torres. I think round three was the clear Tisha Torres. Yes. Round. Yeah. Yeah. And round two was the clear McKenzie Dern. So it was like how you scored round one. Yeah. And I remember, and that, again, it wasn't a robbery either way, but you scored it for McKenzie. Yes. Yes. Okay. I scored it for Tisha. Obviously, we don't remember this fight fully, but I mean, <laughs> that, that round two is, is. That's the one you remember. That's you know the what one I'm I remember. I mean, and yeah. I know McKenzie. Wow, I mean, you got to give credit to Tisha for being true. able to, to fight Very through true. that. I mean, that was deep. That Kimura was deep. Yeah, and she just continued to fight through it, um, showing a lot. It of almost put her in a knee bar too. Yeah, I mean, Mackenzie is so good when she, she's a wizard on when the ground. She <laughs> is able to get that fight to the ground. But once yeah. again, Dominic. The hole with Mackenzie Dern is still there. It's yeah, she doesn't have takedowns. Like that's just the she's she, if she can pull if she can get a hold of you and pull guard like just jump into your lap essentially. Yeah, she'll do it. And I mean that's that's how she did it here with Tisha and got yeah. that Kimura locked in. But man, I just have a hard time seeing her being a legitimate threat in a title sense without having a keen ability to get the fight to the ground. Like if you cannot go for any sort of shoot or have any sort of way to really get the fight there outside of if you lock up with them, you're going to pull guard like that. That'll work sometimes like it did here for round two, but you've also seen it not work a lot before for her. So it's uh, uh, even though she got the win here, I personally thought Tisha Torres did a much better job of like avoiding that clinch, avoiding. Yeah, she's yeah. very um, squirrely is the word that's coming to mind. That's not really what I want to say. She was just very good at being elusive. Yes, and landing good shots. Um, just she was on her bike the whole time, trying to keep McKenzie at a distance and. Uh, for parts of the fight, she did a really good job at that. So, uh, your takeaways from this performance? Uh, Mackenzie showed that she's still improving in the striking because in this one she looked better than she did against Rodriguez. But again, Rodriguez and Teach Torres strike completely differently. Yeah. So take that with a grain of salt. But you're still right. She can't. She still never really set up the takedowns to get that top control. She she's a little bit better and kind of close in the distance where she could get a hold of Tisha see round two, for example, but no, you know, time shots or whatnot to get it down to the grappling. So that's something that still needs to work on. Honestly, probably more so that than even with her striking, if I'm being honest, um, is to just get those takedowns, that takedown 
offense. And if she can just put that together even a slight bit more, then uh, she can be more of a problem when it does get – because she's still right there at number five. Uh, she had a perfect call-out also, in my opinion, was Jan Janan. I think that's the fight that should mm-hmm. be next. They both lost to Marina Rodriguez. It's number four versus number five. Uh, so that's what should come next for Dern, in my opinion, as well, just to cap it off. Yeah, probably. I, I, I'm i still just not really believing in Mackenzie Dern as a true challenger title-wise until I see a little bit more from... The improvements. Like, yeah, like you were talking about the striking, and I mean, maybe there was some improvement, but it just... It's all kind of nil. Like she's never going to be able to outstrike someone on oh, no. top of this no. division. So, if if her way to win is to be grappling and to be on the ground, but she has a hard time even getting it there, that's just to me yeah. that was just a massive flaw until that's resolved. Right. But it was a good fight. It was a, it was a good fight. Um, the headliner for the prelims, Ian Gary. Gets a unanimous decision win over Darian Weeks. Um, Ian Gary being this next wave of a star to come from Ireland. He's A lot of people are comparing him, of course, to Conor McGregor. Um, how would you grade Ian Gary's performance here? Hmm. I'm very curious. What you With like a letter grade scale? Like school? Yeah. Like, like how would you... It's a win, but like what, what would you really grade it? Let's do like, let's do like a borderline C plus B minus. I have C plus C plus. Uh, He's clean, man. Clean striking. Very good offensively with his technique and his crispness. Uh, I don't know. He, he wasn't as uh, aggressive and you know, he faced adversity in the first fight with Jordan Williams. We've kind of talked about that. So maybe he was a little weary. Darian weeks has knocked out four of his opponents that he's beaten. So, you know, there was probably a little bit of hesitancy toward that, but I just he he had the longer reach, the longer uh, arms, the height was there. I mean, he kind of just checked all the boxes. I just felt that if he pressed a little more, he could have you know gotten a finish or just made it more decisive than what it was. It left room to be desired, I guess is mm. kind of the way I see it. I'll give him a B minus. I'll push and do the B minus. Yeah. kind of that was the grade I had in my head before yeah. I asked you. So we're kind of on the same page here. Um, it was kind of nice to see Gary go to a decision. I personally, I had heard some people saying Darian Weeks was like a, a low level opponent, and by all means, he's like you know he's not like some top level guy or anything. But but considering how little experience he has professionally, I mean he's five and two now after this. Yes, yeah. both of his UFC fights have been kind of these like drawn out decision dog fights a little bit. The first one being against Brian Barberina. Yeah. And then here against Ian Gary. I, I think uh he's actually just a lot better than people think. I mean in yeah. terms of a lot better, meaning I think he's UFC caliber. He's 0-2. So who knows if he'll even stay around stick around, but those that's a tough first two that's... fights in the company. Brian Barberina yeah. and then Ian Gary. I mean that's it's not normally how most people come into the company. So Yeah. Um but you're you're kind of right. Like there was a lack of um, aggressiveness was the word you kind of used. It just seemed like there was a lack of real emphasis on yeah putting a stamp on this fight. Yeah, uh, exclamation point on this fight. 
I'm not saying I needed to see a finish. In some ways, I'm kind of glad we didn't. I'm kind of glad we got to see him work through the whole 15 yeah. minutes. I believe it was the first decision of his career. Am I am I wrong on that? Uh, he was eight and zero. He he was he had six. Fin- he has been to decision twice before that. Okay, that's okay. it. Okay, so, so he's been there before. It, his cardio held up pretty good. I mean, he yeah. He there's no real negative takeaways. I just think yeah. some of his positives weren't as emphasized as maybe we were hoping they would be. Right. I think I think the big takeaway is that Ian Gary just needs a lot of time to really keep improving. Yeah, there's no um, need to like fast track him yeah, from what we've as, seen. Coming off that first fight, I know the first round knockout, and we were ones that acknowledged like Jordan Williams was winning that round up until yeah. the finish. I would say that like this fight just showed okay, Ian Gary's a stud, like he's a prospect for a reason. But it let's do baseball terms. Like to me, he's like a borderline double A prospect right now. Like he's mm-hmm. not he's not necessarily like um, he he's probably a year or two away from being like a, a major leaguer in terms of like top being fifteen a top guy. Yeah, I think he's a year or two away, probably a yeah. couple of years away from that. But I like that. I like that he can get these kind of matchups, and that's the way they should do it. Just keep doing this. It's the same thing with like Patty Benwood, right? I was just about to ask you about yeah, comparing like, the two. Well, what, what was your question of that? Like, uh, I guess it's like. They both had two fights, right, right, in the UFC so far. They're both that cage warriors breed, you know, coming from the mm-hmm. UK. And this is a hard question, but you have a great relationship with Patty, so I'm going to just ask you. And it's not to, like, put you on blast. It's a realistic question here. Based off of from what we've seen so far from both, which hasn't been a ton, you lean in, you lean in more toward one than another, or are you kind of just like, I'm, I'm in no hurry. Let me just keep seeing more of them. Because obviously Ian, different weight think, classes. So I you think know. Ian Gary has the higher ceiling of the two right now. Mm-hmm. That's just how I'm feeling right now. If you had to, like, again, if I'm, if I'm having to pick one. Yeah. Um, I think both have, obviously, if you go by star potential, I mean. Patty it's still Pimblet, Patty, yeah. Ian yeah. Gary is definitely up there, but I think Patty Pimblett's already at, like, a star level. Yeah. Um, but based off the first two fights, I would say that probably Patty has been the Best, better fighter as of now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've had my gripes with Patty's two fights, and the credit. I think he's just been given a little too much credit, I guess, for getting first round finishes. When if you really look at the fights, I mean, he's kind of the second fight. Maybe I was just nitpicking, but the first fight against um, uh, Luigi Luigi Benramini, he he got cracked. I mean, big time. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but obviously, to come back in a way like there's. A lot of positives that I'm kind of overlooking, but it's just he's being given so much positive shine and just that outpouring of, of love and respect that, like, I can't really – I'm not someone that's, like, on this Patty Pimblet train, you know? So I feel right. like I kind of have to offset that by speaking to the negatives because nobody else is really doing it. You know what I mean? I like so, that. Um, I like that. I think both guys have bright futures, but as of now, if you had to like, if you told me that one of these two guys will one day fight for a title, I would say it's Ian Gary. I like that. I think I would agree with you right is now he, as well. What division is he in? Why am I? He's one seventy. He's yeah, big man, six foot three. That plays a factor too. One seventy oh, is yeah. a deep division as well. Don't get me wrong, but Patty Pimblett being at lightweight, <laughs> yeah, that's tough, man. That's shark just, Tank, yeah, Shark Tank, exactly. Like just. 
the fact that his first rivalry is with Ilya Tuporia, who I think is just such a fucking <laughs> yeah. shark. I mean, that's... Yeah. Whew, yeah. But I I do think Ian Gary, there's positive takeaways. It's just, it wasn't like some emphatic... Perf- this isn't going to be one you remember on his... Right. His rise. rise. Yeah. Next up, Anthony Hernandez welcomed Josh Friend to the UFC. And... This ended up being a great fight. Goes to unanimous decision win for Anthony Hernandez, and rightfully so. I feel like both guys kind of got elevated here. Am I wrong on that? Because, mm, yes, I Josh agree. Friend took this fight on very short notice, uh, like a week, a little over a week or something. Um, Anthony Hernandez looked fantastic uh, in terms of uh, his grappling. His Best pressure. we've seen, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think this was the most complete performance we've seen out of him. Obviously, it's hard to get over the the submission <laughs> win over Rodolfo Vieira, but here, I mean, round one, the pace he was putting on Josh Brown, obviously is coming in on short notice, so maybe not in the best of a, not having the best of gas tanks compared to where he would usually be. But then Josh Brown came back, man, and really. Uh, took a round, uh, round two. He looked really yeah. good. Looked like the fresher fighter at times mm-hmm. in that round. It was kind of crazy. He got like a second wind. Um, and then ultimately Anthony Hernandez uh, put a stamp on it in round three. But um, I want to see more from Josh Brown. He's an LFA guy, really big for this. He is class. big. He's 6'4 at 185 pounds. Um, Anthony Hernandez has been a really fun guy to watch, win or lose. I'm. I'm thinking with this win here, I mean, he's definitely someone I've known he's been good for a good fight. Like anytime Anthony Hernandez is on a card, I'm like, okay, it's going to be a fun fight. But now I think I'm going to give him after this win, I give him more credibility as like an actual prospect. Yeah, I agree. So go ahead and I'll, I'll let you take over with your thoughts on this fight and, you know, how you view both guys moving forward. It was just the, the the pacing, the grappling, the transitioning, getting to the back, threatening with so kind or so many different kinds of submissions, darts, chokes, rear nakeds, you name it. He was throwing them up, fluffy that is. And I I like your sentiment really. Like it was, I think, his most complete performance, uh, complete performance. And I think that showed he is not just a guy anymore. You know what I mean? He's won a couple in a row now. Also, he had a, like an over a year long layoff since we saw him fight Vieira. So yeah. hopefully, I don't know. He might've got injured and stuff in between. I don't know all the X's and O's, but hopefully just some more activity. He's a fun guy to watch. Now let's just see. Let's really, let's, let's test him a little bit more and yeah. see just what we can get from Fluffy. And for Josh to debut like this against Hernandez on short notice and put up the fight that he did, I'm excited to continue seeing him in the UFC as well. And you added, he's an LFA guy, which I didn't know. We love some LFA, so yeah. Yeah, uh, Anthony Hernandez. By the way, his original matchup was Drickus Duplessis. I, I would yeah. love to see that fight even more. So now, yeah, keep it together. Drickus obviously is like a hammer on the feet, but you see what Anthony's game plan was here, and it makes me kind of wish we would have saw that fight overall. But yeah. still, a great scrap between these two. Mike Malott made his UFC debut. Woo. Very interesting career for Mike Malott. He's like a he's one of the coaches for Team Alpha Male. Or he's, I don't know if he's one of the coaches, but he has been in more of a coaching capacity over the last few years at Team Alpha Male. Um, But he's been fighting professionally since, how long did they say? They said like since 2006 or something. Yeah, a long time. And he's a young guy too. Yeah, so he he, kind of stopped 
fighting around like 2017 or something took like took a break came back on a contender series looked fantastic gets his debut here against mickey gall who's a very well-known guy that's kind of been middling here in the ufc and he gets a, a emphatic tko in the first round three minutes 41 seconds in we had not seen anybody sleep uh mickey gall like that and it nope. was uh i mean this guy's a, this guy's Mike Malott, someone, uh, I don't know what goes through his head. I don't know, you know, is he is he here, like, really looking to make, a, like, a run towards a title fight, or is he just kind of, you know, wanting to fight a couple times, make some money, and then bounce? Like, how, you know, it's just, he's had such an interesting career up to this point. Yeah. You just don't know. But uh, I'm believing in this guy. If he wants to make a run here, I, I think he's a problem on the feet. You saw the power of these shots and also good for a couple submissions here and there as well. So uh, um, your thoughts on Mike Blott and ultimately, Dom, is this the last we see of Mickey Gall in the UFC? Yeah, Mike Malott, uh one of the biggest Canadian prospects in the UFC right now, maybe the biggest. I'd have to go and look at the roster, but he's 8-1. Uh, eight finishes, all eight of them in the first round. Half of them are knockouts, half of them are submissions. I mean, that's pretty damn symmetrical and perfect right there. So to come in there, uh, he face-planted Mickey Gall. If it wasn't for him hitting the canvas so hard and waking him back up, it would have been like a one-punch knockout. It was just the way that Mickey fell. For Mickey, it's tough, man. This was the one where, based off of that pattern, win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. This should have been a win, uh, and it wasn't. Obviously, it doesn't work that way. We get that, but... I don't know. Mickey's had that weird career. We saw him back at UFC 203 in Cleveland against CM Punk. He started 2-0, but it was, again, it was CM Punk and Mike Jackson. Not the greatest competition. The The hardest fights he's had in the UFC, or the in terms of, like, name value, those are the ones he's lost. You know yeah. what I mean? And now none he takes guys, a... None of the guys he's beaten are still in the company, so... Right, yeah. And this was a step back, quote-unquote, and he gets knocked out here um, when all of his other losses outside of Diego Sanchez were by decision. So uh, is it the end? Hmm. I think maybe we'll see one more go around if he can like win one. I mean, it's going to be like a prelim fight, nothing crazy, nothing special. Uh, but if he were to lose one more time, make it three in a row with the iffy career he's had, then I could see it being the end of the line in the company. Yeah, I remember Friday you mentioned you said I had a you said I have a complex relationship with Mickey Gall, and you're kind of right. Like I, I've always liked the guy, but I've always felt like he was kind of overvalued at the same time. Yeah, like, you know, coming off that that win against CM Punk, like he was kind of elevated to a status he just wasn't quite ready for. Right, and you know, like he really shouldn't have been fighting guys like Diego Sanchez and. Mike Perry, but he his mouth kind of got him those fights, especially True. the Diego Sanchez one. He called for that fight. You know, when he was fighting guys, like when he fought Sage Northcutt, we thought we were watching like two of the biggest prospects in the UFC. Yep. And then neither guy's really panned out. So it's nope. uh, it's a weird. I felt weird because I had money on Mike Milan, so I was obviously happy. But then I was like, man, I was like, me and Mickey Gall, I just feel like I have some sort of a connection to this guy for some reason. Yeah. I just, I'd like to think it's not quite the end, but I mean, we're this is really the level we're for Mickey Gall at this point. I mean, we're not gonna see this guy really. I mean, crazier things have happened, I guess, but I, I think like prelim level fighters where Mickey Gall yes. sits for the rest of his tenure. I agree. Finally, 
And maybe, you know what, maybe most importantly, (laughs) Alexi Olenek gets his 60th professional victory with a first-round submission over Jared Bandura. Dominic, Alexi Olenek got his first professional win in 1996. You want to know who wasn't born in 1996? Both of us. True. So, how do you feel about that? (laughs) I just remember texting in the group chat saying, what exactly are we about to see? You know, because it was just a fight that, you know, quite Mm. frankly, I wasn't excited for. You know what I mean? I wasn't excited for Uh, it when it was Alir Latifi. And when they announced Jared Bandura was in there, I was like, oh my God. I'm saying, in this fight, get any worse? Uh, fight was badass this was a fun <laughs> ass fight yeah um fun on the lots of grappling and flip-flopping transitions van dura's landing on top but he's getting choked from the bottom and then lexi gets on top and fucking <laughs> folds his neck like he's in a wwe move and submits him he, jared van dura puked in a bucket yeah. from the submission and then my favorite moment by the way this was you said 60 wins for alexi 47 of them are by submission fucking insane mm-hmm. Is there a fighter on earth that has more submission wins in MMA history than Alexi Olenek? Someone find out for me. But uh, then afterwards, they show the video in the back, and Alexi's showing Vander how to do the choke and all this cool stuff. It's just, it's a guy that's been there for years before a lot of these guys we're seeing were even born, Noah, including you and I that are talking about it. And now he can just pass on his knowledge. Uh, you know, this is a guy that was on a three-fight losing streak, all via finish. We're like, he's probably going to get cut here if he loses again. And he gets a submission victory. Obviously, he's not going to go fight for a title or nothing, but I can't help but just feel so good for uh, the boa constrictor. Yeah, it was a, it was a good moment. And dude, best line of the night. He's they asked Joe Rogan asked him how long can you keep? Going? Oh said, yeah, not very long, like five ten years. Yeah, and he's forty four. <laughs> I love that. That was great stuff. But uh, yeah, man, Jared Vandura. Hopefully, he learned something from Lexi to take when he goes fighting it for like cage fury or something but uh yeah i think that's probably the last we see of jared vandura for think a so. while. i feel like i've just seen him just so much i mean i remember he fought he a lot like he i'll give him credit the guy definitely doesn't turn down a challenge and yeah um he was game here <laughs> there was so much going on in that first round it was a lot of fun but i think jared vandura is probably that's probably it for him but uh yeah Hopefully he learned something. Learned how to do that scarfold choke, and he can go yeah. beat the shit out of some guys with it on the, on the regionals. But um, for Alexi, just I mean, sixty wins. What a moment! Crazy. That's gonna wrap it up for this somewhat long weekend recap edition. Um, give us your thoughts on all the fights we talked about here. Um, was there any big winners for the weekend? Anybody have any big parlays hit? Um, <laughs> let us know. Because our parlays sure weren't hitting. But, yeah, uh, can you guys just give us picks and we'll talk about them <laughs> on the nosebleeds? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we will be back on Thursday with our weekend preview. It will be uh, UFC Luke versus Muhammad 2 mm-hmm. and the Bellator 277 headlined, of course, by two of the biggest fights Bellator could ever do. So big, in fact, that you didn't even notice the card was coming up. So um, good uh, stuff there. Uh, but in, and then Friday, of course, uh, the nosebleeds will be back. That'll be an interesting addition. A lot of unknowns on this card, so uh, we're gonna yeah, have to, yeah, we're gonna have to dig deep. Do some homework. <laughs> but uh, that's it. We're out, and we'll see you guys on Thursday. <laughs>